And of course, uh, our hearts go to uh, Eleanor and, and to Arnold as they're just going through this loss, but also congratulations on the birth. Was it a um, granddaughter born? A grandson. Okay. I guess you'll need this then. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. And we've, I, I, I would suspect our, our own journeys are also up and down through this week. And, um, and for our friends from Wildwood, I don't talk about football every Sunday. It's just uh, this being the first kind of get back on track Sunday for the fall, uh, I often use the phrase kickoff and then it, it allows me to bring my football to church with, with impunity. Um, since we are talking about kickoff, you know, I, I do find football quite a fascinating sport. I remember having our kids in football. I remember especially one of our sons when he was about seven or eight years old, he looked like a toothpick and then he had this huge helmet on top of his head. And um, it, was, it, was, it was kind of interesting because we, we couldn't get those two boys to calm down in the living room. But then when they got out on the football field and I thought, they're going to tear it up. And then they were kind of shy. So I thought, why don't you hit some other kid at football and take it easy on the furniture at home, you know? Uh, there's, another, there's another paradox about football. Someone has said that uh, football is an event in which 24 men on the field desperately need a rest, while 20,000 fans in the stands desperately need exercise. And, and of course, that can be applied to other sports as well. But something we pro probably wouldn't think of when it comes to a football player is meekness. Now, you can check and think, uh, have you ever thought, saw a football player and thought, oh, he looks very meek and mild? Um, and yet, I, I think that there might be a picture of meekness to be observed in football. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're on the line of scrimmage and you're 36 inches away from a 300-pound-plus defensive lineman. He's frozen in a three-point stance. He's ready to pounce as soon as the ball is snapped. And aren't you glad, at least for that brief moment in time that he's acting very meekly and he's not demolishing you, right? I can remember in college playing center and snapping the ball and then Gary Burris from Iowa, this big burly uh, corn farmer from Iowa, uh, decided to, um, to steal away all the breath in my body for a few seconds and I was in quite a panic. Um, Look, snapped the ball wonderfully, looked up, and all I saw was Gary's chest, and that was it for me for a while. I was out. But today we're looking at number six of nine uh, ways of wisdom. If you're visiting with us, we've been going through Proverbs chapter three, not just hitting the more familiar verses, five and six, about God's direction, but actually taking a sort of phrase by phrase through the book of Proverbs. Um, I shared with you living with obedience, living with faith, living with trust, and, and then humility. And then last week, Mike Mahorder um, was able to, to get everything together, and he found his way here on his motorcycle and, and while I was gone, and shared about living with generosity. And in our passage today, we're now at verse 11 and 12, and the theme that I've chosen from these verses, though though the verses don't explicitly say live in a meek way, I think 
the essence of what we read in verse 11 and 12 is a call uh, to meekness, much like Jesus called us to meekness when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. I think uh, one way that we can look at it is we can see how God the Father develops meekness in the life of his, uh, lives of his children. I think we can also see the role of Jesus the Son, who demonstrates he's, he's the embodiment of meekness. And then I think we also can see the role of the Holy Spirit because he helps to uh, see, uh, uh, to, to make meekness uh, active and uh, operable in, in our lives. Uh, and, and maybe if you want to think about uh, football, I think, you know, I've probably said it before, I think just about everything in life can be illustrated by football. Anything else, you could use hockey. But the, um, the, the thing about football is it's this big, uh, intricate program. You've got, you got observers up in the stands. I heard yesterday on the radio, I never heard that before, but there was a point in time in which uh, um, coaches in the NFL, they would have some coaches up in the bleachers and they would take Polaroid pictures during the game to, to help guide uh, um, what was going on. And then they would, they would uh, clip that on a clip and they would send it down on a, on a fishing wire down to the coach on the sidelines to say, here's the problem, let's, let's, let's fix it. And I never heard that before. But let's, let's jump into this and we'll begin by seeing how meekness is developed by the Father. Let's re- let me read those verses for us. Uh, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And that's the New International Version. Now, I'm going to read it for you now as it should be on the screen for you from the New American Standard. Very, very close, but maybe just a little bit different wording. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his rebuke. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. And as I read that, you can see clearly for yourself as well that we're not instructed in any kind of explicit way. You should live in a meek fashion. But I would like to uh, argue with you, uh, not argue with you, but uh, present my argument to you Uh, that, in fact, this response that is commanded in verses 11 and 12 is a response uh, of meekness. It's an expression of what it means to live meekly. Now, the experience of discipline is not just punitive. It it, it is. Let's not not beat around the bush. Sometimes uh, the Lord has to discipline us in a rebuke or uh, in a restorative kind of discipline, but um, primarily it's instructive. He's training us. This discipline, it could also be translated instruction. Don't, don't push back against the ways in which God wants to guide and direct your life in his truth. Now, I, I often think it's, it's fascinating because I, I do think we live in a society that doesn't question the benefit of certain disciplines. You want to be a um, professional football player. We, we, we would say, oh, you know, it, it's, it's quite appropriate that you'd go through all that training to be a professional football player. Did anybody watch the Women's US, World, uh, US Open yesterday to see 
the young Canadian, 19-year-old uh, Canadian play, 18-year-old um, young lady from Great Britain, and I was thinking, think of the training that they would have done already in their very young lives to get to that top level of tennis. And unfortunately, um, uh, the young woman from Canada didn't, didn't uh, win, but I guess we can take confidence in the fact that the, the one who did win, she's from Great Britain, but she was born in Toronto. So we'll, t we'll take that. Um, you know, we, we think that's appropriate. Or um, when someone um, becomes a doctor or they go into some profession, we think that's, that's appropriate. I want a doctor who has gone through lots of academic rigor and discipline to learn his craft. Um, but then when we think about God disciplining and training us, we say, well, I, I, mm, mm, wait a minute, I'm not so sure. Is this going to hurt? <laughs> Is this going to be painful? Will you ask me to do something I'm not comfortable doing? How will I have to give up my rights and privileges? It, it, it really challenges us. So let me make these two points. I think this is what verse 11 is saying. First of all, we need to, to recognize there's great danger in rejecting God's work of creating meekness in our lives. You know, and I think Proverbs is pretty clear. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, mince words. Uh, Proverbs makes it very clear that there's a choice. We can submit to God. We can acknowledge His authority over our lives. Or we can despise and resist. Those are the words in the NIV. We can despise and resist His work in us. Proverbs makes this choice very clear, but it also makes very clear that if we choose the path of the fool and reject God's instruction, discipline in our lives, that, that, that's, that's a dangerous road. There's going to be grief and there's going to be punishment. But if we do choose to let God lead us, we submit to His leadership, we live meekly uh, in, in that way of responding to Him, then we will be blessed. Proverbs uh, 12, verse 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but, ever, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, that, that's pretty clear, isn't it? It's, here's, here's a choice. You're going to love God's corrective, disciplining way. That you, you're, you're going to grow, and you're going to have the blessing of that growth. But if you hate that correction, you're in a, on very dangerous ground. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom in, is found in those who take advice. That's chapter 13 and verse 10. And then on in the same chapter to verse uh, 18, we're, we're told you want to ignore the discipline of God, okay, but you will run the risk of uh, poverty and shame, it says there, Proverbs 13, verse 18. So there's danger in rejecting God's uh, work in our lives. But there is delight in recognizing His love as He creates meekness in us. Now, how is discipline delightful. I don't know about you and your athletic endeavors. Um, uh, I've, I've done some, uh, you know, athletic or recreational things where I, I probably, the one would be Friday night hockey. My wife can tell you it started about five or six in the evening. I didn't get on the ice till 10 o'clock. But, you know, there's pregame rituals like, like having a rest and the right kind of food 
And, you know, the older you get, the more you have to stretch. And um, so I don't play Friday night hockey anymore, but, um, and in fact, I was told uh, it's dangerous for someone to sit at a desk all week and then on the weekend to go and play hockey. Um, that's called weekend warrior sy syndrome. That's very dangerous. So I've, I figured out how to get around that. I started playing on Tuesday nights instead. But all this to say, you know, how is discipline delightful? It's not uh, in the giving up. It's not in the stretching. It's not in the, the cost that we delight. It's in the result, right? It's in the benefit, and it's in the, the, the journey. Uh, coming to Canada, I'm sure there was many difficult days of preparation, but once you came to Canada and saw such wonderful people here, now there's joy, right? And we all understand, whether it's athletics, whether it's preparing for a job, many different areas of our lives, landscaping your yard, many things take great discipline, but in, in time we delight in them. Now what's interesting is it's not limited to that, that we would be disciplined and instructed and guided by God and then we'd get the benefit. It's in fact, God is very active in this as well. Verse 12 tells us God is delighting in us. So as he's bringing us to a place of delight in the growth that he produces, we're also experiencing his delight in us. It would kind of be like the ultimate coach who not only brings you to the championship, but makes you feel encouraged and blessed and, and uh, worthwhile all, all along the way. All along the way. And this is what God is doing in our lives. Colossians 3 verse 11 tells us that Jesus is all and is in all. And as I was reflecting on that uh, this week, I shared it uh, earlier in, in the week, and I said, those who are in a personal relationship with Jesus, the head of the church, are subject to his sovereign rule, creative power, and indwelling presence. So meekness allows us to, to take all of his rule and creative power and indwelling presence and to allow it to be operative in our lives. Let's go on to see the way Jesus displayed uh, um, meekness. I'm not going to turn to 2 Corinthians 10.1, but just tell you this key phrase that Paul used. He referred to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. One theologian said, um, based on this, that meekness is a humble and gentle attitude which expresses itself in a patient submissiveness to offense, uh, free of malice and desire from revenge. And I think that's a great uh, definition. But it does also challenge us to think carefully that, in fact, meekness is, is not just holding back. I remember um, one of my mentors in Bible college, he said, sometimes silence is golden. Do you know the rest of that phrase? Sometimes it's just plain yellow. Sometimes it is quite appropriate to, to, to hold our tongue. Meekness isn't just restraint. Meekness, you know, the meekness that we see in Jesus wasn't just restraint. Uh, there was many times where Jesus spoke very pointedly, very authoritatively, very intrusively 
in many instances, but he did so, his overall disposition was one of meekness and gentleness. Meekness uh, has this idea of waiting upon God, depending on, on God, staying on track with what God wants us to do. So let me give you a couple of key verses. I won't turn to them, but Jesus showed us how to live with meekness. Uh, for me, I think the best passage is 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23. It says, he submitted to the punishment and the opposition. He entrusted it to God, to his Father. Um, he, um, he endured, not because he enjoyed the opposition, but because he was on mission to go to the cross, and he left the results with his heavenly Father. Jesus, uh, of course, calls us to live with meekness. Matthew 5, verse 5. If, if we're going to live in the kingdom of, of God, there are certain qualities that are outlined in, in that passage, and meekness is a key essential quality if we're going to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't just tell us or show us um, what meekness looks like. He also, because of his uh, work on the cross, his power, his resurrection, his life in us as his followers now makes it possible for us to live with meekness. So I think it's important then to see about, you know, how does the Holy Spirit help us live out uh, uh, our lives meekly? And for this, if you want to turn in your Bible, I'm going to refer to Galatians, a few verses in Galatians uh, chapter 5. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said this, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Good insight, uh, especially as we're, isn't there something uh, to do with an election or something going on right now? Um, if you really want to see what somebody's like, yeah, sure, adversity can be a, a pretty good indication, but certainly um, how a person responds to being in control and having power, that's a pretty good indication. Uh, Robert Foster, I'm referring to his book a little bit as we go through the book of Proverbs. This is a, just a little um, one proverb a day book, uh, particularly challenging men to live out the Proverbs. And um, he writes, according to a rabbi writing in the Talmud, there are three ways of knowing men in their cups. So give someone some brew and you'll, you'll really see what's going on inside that person. Um, uh, with their money, how does a person, you know, what do we really value? What we, what we spend our money on. And then in their wrath. And he says, um, the book of Proverbs takes us to where men live. It's a book for uh, uh, us in everyday circumstances. And so meekness is an issue for everyday circumstances. I even thought about it. Does meekness, uh, I, I was filling up with gas before I came out to church this morning, I was, and I was, I was going to pull out of the gas station, and I thought, which way should I go? And, and, and the thought occurred to me, does meekness relate to driving? You know, does meekness relate to driving? Uh, meekness really hits us in every, every part of our lives. So I, I have two thoughts here. First of all, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me read these verses from uh, Galatians chapter 5. I'm beginning at verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, 
at gentleness and self-control. Now, that word gentleness is the same as, as meekness. Um, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And so I think that the first and foremost um, thing for us to, to comprehend if we're going to respond to this invitation to live meekly is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us. We need to rely upon Him. And we need to recognize the internal battle. If you flip back to verse 17 of Galatians 5, the sinful nature, nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict in e with each other. So there is an internal battle where our sinful nature does default to the opposite of meekness, but as the Holy Spirit is allowed to rule and reign in our lives, as we rely upon Him, what He is able to produce in us is a gentleness or a meekness along with these other character qualities. And perhaps if you want to think of the role of the Holy Spirit as, a, as personally training us, developing us, like a personal trainer would come alongside of us and help us with nutrition and exercise and, and different things. In Galatians 5, verse 25, we're commanded, keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, walk in a manner that the Spirit guides you and empowers you to walk. So there's that internal battle, but then there's that external battle. And I would suggest not only do we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we also need to be engaged with our culture so we can understand what we're, what we're dealing with, what we're up against. There's many ways we could identify those challenges in our culture today, but I just thought of three things that really work against living meekly. And first of all, um, I would say that our society is quite proud. Don't, don't, don't tell me what to do. And I didn't need to go into society to figure that out. We have, we have four children, and um, you know the evidence was very clear. Don't tell me what to do. And um, the four children were, had problems too, as well as me, uh, with that. Um, um, pride. Simple. I want, I want what I want, like our, our niece said when she was re re really young. Um, don't, don't help me. I want to do it all by myself -ish, right? That's our, that's, our, that's our bent. And that comes out in, in a lot of ways in our society. And then you throw in pandemic conditions and people uh, that, that pride is really, really basic. And so when we're struggling for uh, privileges and rights and different, different issues, pride can really, really cloud that. Uh, our, our society is also extremely pluralistic. Values and beliefs are very, very relative. Now, I think there's a certain pluralism that is, that is very godly. For example, last night we sat at a table with uh, many of you met uh, Homera and Samira. They were here, um, mom and daughter from Iran. They were here last November to share about what it was like to live as a believer in Iran, and, and I can tell you that um, um, Homer is a good cook. Let's just leave it at that. We got home late, had tea, and, and just a lovely time 
visiting with them and hearing about, uh, I love to hear about their church in Turkey because they had Persian people, Afghans, um, even uh, Arabs from Iraq, uh, just, just hearing about, about the, the wider body of Christ across different cultures. But what the difficulty of pluralism in Canada today is, there's not really one foundational truth. There's the Christians, they believe that truth, and that's nice. And if you're Muslim, they have a different truth, and, and that's also nice. And, and then there's secularism, and, and there's many um, different values and beliefs, all of which are quite wonderful. And that's the kind of pluralism we're dealing with today. And so when we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, it's not just that they don't believe that other people don't believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. They don't believe that that kind of exclusivity can actually function in contemporary enlightened society. And then thirdly, we're polarized. You think we're a polarized society? There's lots of things that polarize us, I mean, beyond football. That's just fun, right? Right, right, Tyler? It's just, you, just, you just cheer for, for your team just for fun, right? It's not to exclude the rest of us from, what is that, the Steelers? I forget. No, 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 that's, uh, that's Philadelphia. Just give them a hard time. Um, but lots of really important things polarize us and create conflict. That's, that's come out clearly. Like, if, if it wasn't enough to be dealing with pandemic issues and then we add a, add a, um, a federal election, the timing couldn't be more, let's say, wonderful. You can read into that. I'm kind of sarcastic there. But in that climate, how do we live out um, meekness? I'm going to try and answer that, but just let me uh, point you in the direction of a very interesting article or review, and then you may even want to look into the book. In a recent focus on the family newsletter, Subby Saturski reviewed a book called The Secular Creed, Engaging Five Contemporary Claims. Um, the author is Rebecca McLaughlin, and she's, uh, you know, really in many ways making the claim that um, it, it almost appears like our society is acting very meekly and gently and lovingly in trying to affirm everything. And yet, she makes this comment. She says, it sounds like basic moral common sense, but it's not. These truths have come to us from Christianity, this uh, respect for one another, this um, caring for one another, and the deeply valuing uh, the uh, identity of uh, the, the, the uh, way that God has created uh, life in another person and so forth. And, and she says, but if you rip that foundation out, you won't under, uncover a better basis for human equality and rights. You'll uncover an abyss that cannot even tell you what a human being is. And so, so relativistic has our society become that it might look to us at first glance, there's that, that, that's, that's so altruistic, that's so caring for the other person, but it's not based on um, the image of God in a person. It's not based on Jesus as the ultimate source of our salvation. And so, Zatursky goes on to comment, and in the Digging Deeper Notes online, you can get a link to this article and the book. He goes on to, to comment, in a cultural moment marked by tribalism and division, 
McLaughlin offers a roadmap for beginning to chip away at the dividing walls from both sides. She points to a compelling vision for believers and skeptics alike. A diverse multitude at the end of time, made up of women and men from every tribe and tongue and nation, worshiping the Messiah who loved and redeemed them in everlasting unity and joy. And she challenges those who follow Jesus to begin living in light of that reality right now. And, um, you know, I just want to be as bold to say, let's pray about our election. Let's pray about that. But the problem is not in Ottawa. The problem's right here in our hearts, right? We are the representatives of Jesus on this earth. And thankfully, we're not alone in that. We, Cornerstone, um, Wildwood, all the churches who know and love Jesus across our community, we are uh, the messengers of the gospel. You see, what Zatursky is commenting on is the redemptive work of Jesus. We want to break down dividing walls. Do you think there was a dividing wall between Jew and Gentile in the first century? I don't. I think we think we know what division is, but I don't think we know what thousands of years of resentment and division was like um, in the first century. And, and we wouldn't have some of, some of the amazing scriptures that Paul wrote for us if there wasn't trying to figure out how to make Jew and Gentile, slave and freeman, uh, Roman and Greek. Can you imagine trying to get along with the Greeks? And, and, and you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun. And, and we need to recognize what Ephesians 2 verse 14 says. Jesus, it, it, it says it this way in the original language, he himself, he himself, it's a special uh, grammatical phrase, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, now he's talking about Jew and Gentile, two groups, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, is there a dividing wall of hostility in our society today? Yeah, I think you could probably say, which one? Which dividing wall of hostility? Now, the ultimate one was the Jew-Gentile division and how Jesus has brought Jew and Gentile into one new man. That's just read Ephesians chapter 2. It's so powerful. And so that's one aspect. And then, of course, Zatursky was envisioning a Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And when we're discouraged about the, the, the muck and the mire of our contemporary society, we, we need to have a vision of revelation in mind because we're told of the victory that is to come. We're not working towards what we think will be victory or hope will be victory. We're working towards what we know will be victory. And it's described um, this way, referring to the Lamb. You're worthy to take the scroll, open its seals, you were slain with your blood. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, that's, that's a pluralism that we can get behind, right? Because it's centered around the redemption that is found in Jesus alone. So Jesus faced pride. You think there was proud people in the first century? Maybe the Jews who said, well, I could always pray at home, but why not on the corner where everyone can see me praying, right? So there was pride. How about pluralism? 
You know, there was Roman ideas, there was Greek ideas, there was uh, ideas from other cultures, and then the Jews were trying to remain faithful to Jehovah through all of this. Yeah, there was a lot of pluralistic um, challenges. You think people were polarized? Uh, certainly. But the world, the flesh, and the devil has always opposed meek living. What was Jesus' response? Just to keep quiet? No. He spoke the truth. He spoke lovingly. He spoke authoritatively as needed. But he didn't call people to some ideology or some institution. Um, you know, we can take a lesson. He didn't, he didn't invite people to church necessarily. He invited people where? To himself. To himself. Maybe the simplest thing is to say to your neighbor, don't worry about inviting them to church, maybe straight away. Invite them to meet Jesus. I'd love to share Jesus with you. What do you think of Jesus? Um, have you ever thought about studying the claims of Jesus? So in our context, it might be a little discover group. It might be coming to church, but let's invite people to Jesus. And so I just submit to you again, I think Jesus is the example. Uh, he also helps us to be uh, meek, and he'll show us, he'll guide us uh, how that, you know, our lives of waiting upon him, trusting in him, uh, speaking the truth in love as, as we have opportunity. These are all different facets of meekness. Um, just to wrap up, uh, if you want to follow uh, up more on some of these references, uh, go to Digging Deeper on our webpage, Sermons, Sermon for Today, and then there's that uh, document you can open and, and get the links. You know, meekness does, at first glance, uh, seem to be weak, insipid maybe. It's like, why you always got to say nothing, do nothing, you know, just be so, as I, I might have heard someone say, just be so Canadian, right? No, that's not meekness. Meekness is a disposition of not attacking back, not being angry and resentful, but being patient and enduring and being on the mission that God has given us. I want you to look, as, just as we close, at, at another BC lion. As, um, here we go. I've been fascinated with cougars since most of them live on the island where I grew up. Uh, mo most, most cougars in the world I, uh, of this type, I've heard, live on Vancouver Island. I'm just glad I never ran into one. Um, just think of the amazing power and strength. When I see a cougar, apart from wanting to see it at a, at a, at a safe distance, I think of, think of the power. It's, it's not weak and, and insipid, and it, it, it's able to accomplish great feats of, of strength. Um, but there are many times where it needs to be, uh, to, 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 to have uh, a prudent restraint to its power as it sneaks up on its prey, or how it functions in the, the animal world. And I just encourage us not to think of meekness today as, I can't say anything, I can't do anything, I can't, I can't um, um, uh, contribute anything. No, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's saying, God is my trainer. He's inviting me into a life of discipline under Him. And really that, I think, is meekness is submitting our lives day by day, moment by moment, to the discipline, instruction, guidance, direction of our Heavenly Father. 
the Lord Jesus, our Savior, and, and, the, and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray. Lord, we do pray that you would help us not just to think of meekness as a turning off of our um, contribution um, in this world, but rather uh, submitting uh, ourselves complete, so completely to you that the way in which we contribute to our world will be godly. The way in which we speak to issues will be, will be truthful. Uh, the manner in which we interact with our families or our neighbors will, will be honoring and, and uh, righteous. So we need your help. We need your help, especially when um, so many of the things that go on in our world today either intimidate us or, or uh, um, they cause us uh, to be cynical and withdraw. And so we pray, help us to be like you, Lord Jesus, in your, your, your loving, truthful engagement um, with people. Help us, we pray in your name. Amen.